Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. Remember that a Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Amazon Music, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Pandora. Whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow, like, you know, um, give feedback, many, uh, any uh, podcast suggestions, you know, any topics. I always like to post pictures of organisms and I always like to give updates as to when the next episode is coming out. So on the last episode, I went over group B strep testing. If you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do so. You know, there's, there's a series, episodes 36 and 37. On the first one, on 36, I go over the organisms. The organism, actually. You know, I talked about hemolysis, media. And then on the next episode, I go over testing. So I talked about three different tests that we use for group B strep. So I talked about Todd Hewitt broth. Uh, you know, I mentioned how to work up the culture. You know, you use the Todd Hewitt broth with blood agar. And then you keep that blood plate for two days looking for group B strep. You know, after 24 hours of inoculating your plate on your Todd Hewitt broth, you go ahead and if there's cloudiness on your broth, you subculture that to a blood agar plate. And then you keep that plate for two days. After that, if no group B strep is seen, you know, the culture is negative for group B strep. So I talked about the PCR methods that we use. I mentioned the, the GBS LB, which is group B strep limb broth. So you inoculate the broth and then after 24 hours, you run the PCR test. And then I mentioned the, the GBS PCR test where you can actually with that PCR test, you know, the patient is typically in active labor and you go ahead and from the swab, you perform the PCR test. You know, so this is not an enrichment process like inoculating on Tahuid broth. You, you know, likelihood are going to have to confirm a negative result. So if you haven't checked out those episodes, go ahead and do so. You know, great information about group B stripe. Remember, it's Lansfield classification B. It's beta hemolytic, you know, of course, catalase negative. It types for the latex, you know, it's latex B positive. And it's a very serious organism. You know, it is seen in, you know, it causes neonatal meningitis and sepsis. And it has been discovered that in most of these cases, you know, in a high percentage, the mom is colonized with this organism. So this is why during gestation, she goes to the OB you know, a swab, a vaginal rectal swab is collected, and then we screen for group B strep in the lab, e either by doing the standard culture or by doing like a GVS LB or any of the other molecular PCR methods. But the most important thing is like we screen for it, and then if we actually find it, you know, if you recover from culture, then the patient needs to be treated. But susceptibilities are not done unless the patient has an allergy to penicillin. So go ahead and check out those episodes and leave any feedback on social media, if you have any. So today is an 
interview episode. I always love these. You know, I get to connect with other professionals in the microbiology field. So if you recall from January, you know, there was an episode that I published about Staphylococcus argentius. You know, it was it was updated. It was published on January 13th of this year, and it was titled Talking Staphylococcus argentius, where I had uh, Dr. Schutz and Dr. Patel from the Mayo Clinic, and then came to talk about a study that was published in the American Society of Microbiology, you know, in one of the journals. They came to discuss that article about how there was a study done where some isolates that were initially thought to be Staphylococcus aureus, they ended up being identified as Staphylococcus argentius. And in that episode, if you haven't checked it out, checked it out go ahead and do so. So we talked about how similar, you know, this Staphylococcus argentius, it's to Staph aureus. You know, it is catalyst positive, it's coagulase positive. And it was ultimately it was identified, you know, via gene sequencing. So it is very similar. It even has some um, some virulence factors. You know, there's some evidence of it of it being a colonizer. So with the regular tests that we do in the lab, it's very hard to identify it as Staph argentius. In fact, nowadays, you know, it's been identified via Malditov. You know, the broker was the first one to have it. And I did speak to a representative of Biomero, and it's going to be added to the regular Vitech MS database later on this year. So that's some great news. So it makes you wonder sometimes, you know, you are on the bench, you know, you have an organism that looks like Staph aureus, right? Beta hemolytic. You go ahead and do your catalase is positive. You do your coagulase is positive, And then you typically will presumptively identify it as Staph aureus. Well, what if it isn't, right? One of the things that was discussed in, in this episode was that the fact that, you know, I, I didn't mention that the virulence factors and I talked about um, the evidence of it being a colonizer. But however, this particular species, it doesn't have the staphylosanthin gene. So it doesn't have that that golden color that Staph aureus has. You know, this, this, this gene, has, you know, confers that pigment. So, you know, Staphylococcus aureus is yellow. So this one is Argentius because it's silver looking. So it's the silver staph. Well... In this interview that I'm performing now, that it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be in this episode, there was another species that was initially thought to be Staphylococcus argentius. And by gene sequencing as well, it ended up being another species. And since it was discovered in Singapore, it was called Staphylococcus singaporensis. So there were six isolates that ended up being called Staphylococcus singaporensis. So not a lot, not a lot of information. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of information right now about this organism. But so, so far, you know, it points that it doesn't, it might not have any virulence factors, or if so, maybe very few, you know, not many. And then this one, does have this seems to point to the direction that it has the staphylocentin gene. So it's gonna be it's gonna look more similar 
to staph aureus than Argentus, you know, does. So it is some great information. You know, it was a great discovery. You know, Dr. This article was published in the Microbiology Society Journal from England. So in this episode, we have Dr. Jeanette Theo. She is a scientist at the National University Hospital in Singapore. So I extended an invitation to the podcast and she accepted. And then she came on board and we talked about Staphylococcus singaporensis. You know, we talk about this discovery, virulence factors. You know, we talk about the Staphylosanthin gene. So let's go ahead and check out the, the interview. So last month, there was an episode where uh, there was an interview uh, where we talked about the Staph aureus complex and we talked about Staphylococcus argentus. So today we have a new article and, and which is titled Staphylococcus singaporensis, a new member of the Staphylococcus aureus complex isolated from human clinical specimens. This was published in the International Journal of Systematic and evolutionary microbiology or the microbiology society. So today with us, we have Dr. Teo to discuss this article. Dr. Teo, Dr. Jeanette Teo, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hi, Luis. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So let's start with an introduction. Uh, what is your occupation? Uh, so I work at the... Um... National University Hospital in Singapore. So this is at the microbiology unit. It's a fairly large hospital, it's like a thousand beds um, uh, with acute care. Uh, so I'm a research scientist. So I'm, essentially, I just take care of all the molecular diagnostics, anything to do with like um, the DNA, um, RNA, um, yeah, sort of molecular aspects of microbiology that is used for diagnostics in the routine lab. Okay. So let's go ahead and, and start, like I mentioned on in the intro. So, you know, uh, there was, there's a member, Staphylococcus argentus, mm. which is part of the Staphylococcus aureus complex. Yes. So now this is a new member, which is Staphylococcus mm. singaporensis. So for, for the audience, let's do a, can you do a, a summary of the article? Yes. So uh, actually this, this article started off with, um, we, we actually initiated this study about two years ago, but then because of the COVID and yeah, whatnot in between. So it got a little bit delayed. So essentially we were looking at uh, Staph Argentius and Schwetzri. Um, So these are complex members. Uh, we looked into that because, well, Staph Aureus is quite famous. So, and then we wanted to know what these other uh, sort of sister uh, isolates were doing uh, in our sort of clinical population. So we thought we would collect these Argentis and Schwitzri isolates. Um, and lo and behold, so we did all the, the genome sequencing uh, and then we realized that uh, the 43 Argentis that we had collected, um, out of these 43, six were actually not Argentis and not Schwitzri as well. So they turned out to be Singaporeans, so which was a... I think it's a serendipitous thing, so it's a nice surprise. Indeed. So just to to check, and then you know, it's also on the on the article. But so these organisms that were initially identified as Staph argentius or Schwitzeri by Malditov. Uh yes. Yeah. So uh, using the Maldi, uh, a large number of them, I'd say about ninety percent. So you will get um uh, Argentius hit. 
Occasionally, auris might pop up. Um, Shrutsuri, not common, but yeah, it is suggested on the Maldi. Yeah. So as far as you know, uh, any of the instruments that are routinely used in the clinical microbiology lab, can they identify it? Uh, no. So Maldi now will be the mainstay for identification. We hardly ever do any of these um, biochemical tests that you would have done you know, decades ago for staff. So using just the Maldi, um, no, we will not be able to identify um, Singaporeans. Uh, and even having said that, I think uh, probably trying to differentiate uh, identity and treachery might also be a little bit, um, uh, yeah, not, not that uh, altogether that accurate as well. So, yeah. Yes, definitely that's one of the, the challenges that there was with, with Argentius. And I see on the article as well that, um, you know, it will, with the, you know, it will agglutinate with the staph latex, you know, so it, it basically presents itself as staph aureus, uh, beta hemolytic as well. Yes. So, yeah. So biochemically, you, you would not be able to um, differentiate them. So none of the, I, if you're using a biochemical test like the API or the, you know, the biotech, yeah, that's not going <laughs> to help you in any way. Definitely. Uh, one of the things that, as I was reading the article, I saw the virulence factors mm -hmm. um, on this strain. I mean, are there are there any of this, you know, versus because there was discovered that on Staph Argentius there are some. Yes. Um, are are there any on on Staphylococcus singaporensis? Uh, so what happens is, uh, so with, with the whole genome, so we match, I mean, once you have the whole genome data, so you look at um, the virulence factors in um, Singaporeans, and that's largely based on looking at Steph Aureus uh, virulence factor database. So whatever we know tends to be about Steph Aureus. So um, Argentius may have new virulence factors, uh, virulence factors, which are a little bit peculiar to them. It's just that we don't know um, about them yet because we haven't looked enough into detail and we don't have that many isolates. Um, but I would say overall, when we look at the, the, the virulence content, um, I'd say it does seem to have a little bit um, of a lower prevalence for virulence genes, so, so probably less of like the, the spa genes and the capsular proteins. Don't see any of um, the leukocyte um, genes and things like that. So perhaps that suggests it might be a little bit less virulent. Okay, and one thing that also uh, caught my attention was, because I know that what I was reading about Argentus that, let's talk about the, you know, the Staphylocentin. Yes, yes. Uh, so Agentius is uh, known as, okay, so Staph aureus is known as the golden staph because it produces that golden, that yellow um, sort of pigmentation. So you see that quite nicely on the plate. Um, and Agentius doesn't, so they, they don't produce Staphylocentin, so you don't get that um, yellow pigmentation. So they're also called the silver staph because Agentius was silver staph. Um, and so we would say Singaporeans is like the second second sort of yellow um, staph aureus because they, they do look yellow on the plate as well. Uh, so in silico, when you do the um, genome prediction, they do have the opron stack actually code for the staphylocentin um, gene. So that suggests to us that yes, so they, they would actually be producing uh, staphylocentin. So basically for, so definitely, it could definitely look like a, 
you know, oh, definitely. staph aureus because <laughs> yes, that's yeah. one of the things as I did more research with the Argentius, you know, and I work in a clinical lab. So sometimes, you know, I see what's a staph aureus and then you look at your plate and it looks a little silver. So it makes me think, I mean, we don't have yet our Molotov cannot identify Argentius yet. But now this one can actually, it's even yellow. So it's yeah. even more, more similar to Staph Warriors than that Argentus can be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And then as far as the samples, what was the source? I mean, was there any particular patient population? Right. So, um, so all these were, were clinical samples. Uh, so there wasn't any particular patient population. So these were just isolates that were coming in uh, for workup. So we had six isolates. Four of them came from skin and soft tissue infections. One came from a gallbladder specimen and the other from an MRSA screening. So which again suggests that it's definitely associated with disease, um, just like Staph aureus. Uh, right now, uh, we think uh, Singaporeans, well, we haven't done the, the longitudinal large-scale studies, so, but we think that it probably might be in the, the Staph aureus um, population at about maybe 3%. So actually, if you're looking at staph aureus as a whole, maybe about 3% of them will actually be Singaporeans. So, yeah. Okay. And then um, the other question I have is definitely, you know, we know that staph aureus is it's a colonizer and yes. there are articles that say that our, our gentus points to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, I mean, we don't have that much information about this organism yet, but is there any evidence of colonization yeah so again like you said we we don't have enough um uh, data yet so and and we don't have haven't done any of these like you know time studies to see if they actually stick around <laughs> or if they drop off or whatever so but yeah i'm, I'm going to go with they're, they're going to behave just like you know the other steps and they will be colonizers as well yeah there i mean very good chance that they will behave like the other cousins <laughs> And also from uh, from the article, I know that it, so it seems that as far as susceptibilities, you know, with the, the ones that were tested, it was fairly susceptible versus Argentus. So it doesn't seem to have um, the the methicillin resistance and you know um, all the other uh, drug resistance um, me- mechanisms that might come with Staph aureus. So, but again, who knows with time, <laughs> with you know antibiotic pressure, that might actually happen. So. Yes, definitely. And, and as we know more, definitely. And uh, of course, that way, once, you know, all the instruments are up to date and they can identify it. And of course, then we can think about, you know, assigning breakpoints and, and things uh, like that. True. Yeah. But first we need more isolates. <laughs> yes, we definitely do. Um, are you, so are you currently trying to work to see if maybe you can discover some more? Uh, yes, that's what we're trying to do. So we'll, we'll probably get up the um, step that had been identified on Maldi as Argentius, um, run the PCR screen. So yeah, hopefully we'll have some genes that are just particular for Singaporeans and that might help our PCR. So, And then from there, we'll just, yeah, hopefully have some money to do whole genome sequencing. Yes, definitely. It's very... You know, so this is a very interesting, I mean, discovery, not too many, uh, you know, people in the field like to have actually a new species. That's something that's very exciting. Mm, yes, yes. Yeah. So like I said, serendipitous. 
Yes, you know it's it's a great, especially now as molecular makes such a you know great advances in our field. So now we're definitely seeing more and more you know more organisms, more you know sometimes you know the names are changing and yes, so, absolutely, definitely, yeah. So this is something you know definitely good for the audience to keep in mind, especially you know the laboratorians that we have these organisms out there that. You know, just to yeah. keep in the back of your mind. And like I mentioned before, now Argentus is actually going to be added to the Great. To yes. the other, the Vitech MS database, which is a very popular one in the, here in the US. So that's good. We should be expecting to be seeing more Argentus soon. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. T, is there anything else that you want to tell the audience about this? Uh, no, but I think like, I think for, for those of us who work in, in routine sort of clinical lab settings, so don't think it'll get boring. So you, there's actually a good chance you might actually, you know, discover a new species. Um, yeah, sometimes it just takes a little bit of, um, intuition and, oh, well, definitely the whole genome sequencing uh, technologies help, but yeah, there is definitely a lot of, um, undiscovered novel species out there. Yeah, we've seen it. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely some, you know, we are in some exciting times with all the, te all the technology that we have. So like you said, definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's not boring. So but those of you that are just hanging there and maybe one day you'll discover one yourself. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Dr. Tio, I want to thank you for taking the time to come in on to Let's Talk Micro. I appreciate, you know, this information. This was a really you know, good information for us laboratorians. Yes. Thanks, Louis. Thanks for having me. It's uh, been great sharing this um, yeah, article with you. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. And then, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening about this, listening to this wonderful interview. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. You know, continue bringing that passion to what you do. You know, that's always so important to stay motivated, educate yourself, and doing your very best at what you do. All of you microbiologists out there, thank you for your amazing work and all the healthcare workers and everyone that's working so hard. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.